I was lucky enough to be there that day. I marveled at the massive crowds. The sight gave me hope for our country. That was John's doing. Even on that day, as his voice echoed across the mall, I wonder how many dared imagine that young man would come to walk the halls of the Congress. America's original sin of slavery was allowed to fester for far too long. It left a long wake of pain, violence, and brokenness that has taken great efforts from great heroes to address. John's friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. But that is never automatic. History only bent toward what's right because people like John paid the price to help bend it. He paid that price at every Nashville lunch counter where his leadership made segregation impossible to ignore. He paid it in every jail cell where he waited out hatred and oppression. He paid that price in harassment and beatings from a bus station in South Carolina to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. John Lewis lived and worked with urgency because the task was urgent. But even though the world around him gave him every cause for bitterness, he stubbornly treated everyone with respect and love. All so that, as his friend Dr. King once put it, we could build a community at peace with itself. Today, we pray and trust that this peacemaker himself now rests in peace. All of John's colleagues stand with his son, John Miles, their family, and the entire country in thanking God that he gave our nation this hero it needed so badly. May all of us that he will leave behind under this dome pray for a fraction of John's strength to keep bending that arc on toward justice. Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. To the family of John Lewis, welcome to the Rotunda. Under the dome of the U.S. Capitol, we have bid farewell to some of the greatest Americans in our history. It is fitting that John Lewis joins this pantheon of patriots, resting upon the same catafalque of President Abraham Lincoln. John revered President Lincoln. His identification with Lincoln was clear 57 years ago at the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial where John declared, our minds, souls, and hearts cannot rest until freedom and justice ex exist for all people. Words that ring true today. Mr. Leader, I too was there that day, our student years. Between then and now, John Lewis became a titan of the civil rights movement and then the conscience of the Congress. Here in Congress, John was revered and beloved on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the Capitol. 
We knew that he always worked on the side of the angels, and now we know that he is with them. And we are comforted to know that he is with his beloved Lillian. It may be a comfort to John's son, John Miles, and the entire Lewis family, Michael Collins, the entire staff, that so many mourn their loss and are praying for them at this sad time. God truly blessed America with the life and leadership of John Lewis. We thank you for sharing him with us. May he rest in peace. John Lewis often spoke of a beloved community, a vision that he shared with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., of a community connected and uplifted by faith, hope, and charity. And indeed, John had deep faith, believing that every person has a spark of divinity, making them worthy of respect. And he had faith in the charity of others, which is what gave him so much hope. And he read, as he wrote in his book, release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing the battle for good to overcome evil is already won. John the Optimist. Through it all, John was a person of greatness. He also was a person of great humility, always giving credit to others in the movement. John committed his life to advancing justice and understood that to build a, a better future, we had to acknowledge the past. Exactly one year ago, it was a privilege to be with John and members of the Congressional Black Caucus, Madam Chair, Karen Bass, to, to, on a pilgrimage to Ghana to observe 400 years since the arrival of the first slaves from Africa. Some of the descendants of those slaves would build this capital, the John Nye Rising State on the Lincoln Catafalque. I wish you could have seen the, res uh, the response that John received when he was introduced to the Ghana Parliament. My colleagues are shaking their heads. It was overwhelming, overwhelming. But I wish you could have seen him at the door of no return which enslaved people were sent through onto the uh, death ships to cross the Atlantic. I wish you could have seen what it meant to him. He knew that the door of no return was a central part of American history, just as was the, is the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the March on Washington, the Selma March to Montgomery Arm. When John made his speech 57 years ago, he was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington program. How fitting it is that in the final days of his life, he summoned the strength to acknowledge the young people peacefully protesting and in the same spirit of that march, taking up the unfinished work of racial justice, helping complete the journey begun more than 55 years ago. We've all seen the photographs of John being brutally beaten in Selma, which painted an iconic picture of injustice. What a beautiful contrast to see John and the mayor of Washington who's with us today at the Black Lives Matter Plaza, standing in solidarity with the protesters. An iconic picture of justice that will endure and will inspire a nation for years to come. John firmly focused on the future, on how to inspire the next generation to join the fight for justice, 
in his quote, to find a way to get in the way. As one of the youngest leaders of the Freedom Rides, March on Washington, as I said, and March to Montgomery, he understood the power of young people to change the future. When asked what someone can do who is 19 or 20 years old, the age that he was when he set out to desegregate Nashville, Lewis replied, a young person should be speaking out for what is fair, what is just, what is right. Speak out for those who have been left out and left behind. That is how the movement goes forward, John said. My father was a sharecropper, a senior farmer. But back in 1944, when I was only four years old, my father had saved $300. And with the $300, he bought 110 acres of land. My family is still on that land today. How many of you remember when you were four? Now, what happened to the rest of us? It was many, many years ago. Remember, visit the little town of Troy, visit Montgomery, visit Tuskegee, visit Birmingham. I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. I would come home and ask my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, why? They would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. Don't get in trouble. But one day in 1955, 15 years old, in the 10th grade, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on our radio. 1957, I met Rosa Parks at the age of 17. In 1958, at the age of 18, I met Martin Luther King Jr. And these two individuals inspired me to get in the way, to get in trouble. So I come here to say to you this morning, on this beautiful campus, with your great education, you must find a way to get in the way. You must find a way to get in trouble. Good trouble, necessary trouble. teachers, wonderful professors, researchers, use what you have, use your learning, use your tools to help make our country and make our world a better place where no one will be left out or left behind. You can do it and you must do it. It is your time. In a few short days, we will commemorate what we call the Mississippi Summer Project. For more than a thousand students from all over America, many from abroad, made a trip to Mississippi.
it was only room for three of us. The two of them and me. And so now we're discussing the wiles of the world. And I'm hoping now that they're going to get a little closer and closer. Well, because when John didn't have a date on New Year's Eve, I knew he didn't have a commitment. Everybody has a date on New Year's Eve with somebody somewhere. So I think if I don't have a game now, it's New Year's Eve and here I've got him. And then things start happening. And still slowly, not fast enough for me, but I was patient. And finally, Lillian said, I do like him. I said, okay, I'm ready now. I set the date, got a dress ready, and we're going to have a wedding. And so, and I'm not really sure. I asked John not too long ago, did he ever ask you, would you take her? I don't think I ever got an opportunity to propose. We just had a wedding. She found out. Now, Lillian, as I said, well-traveled, well-educated, but she absolutely did not politics. Sorry, people, she did not politics. But when John expressed an interest, Lillian got in there and became his strongest supporter. I mean, she did everything, everything to make his successes work for him.
to the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the Majority Leader, the Majority Whip, the Clerk of the House of Representatives, the Office of Employee Assistance, the Congressional Black Caucus, and all of your amazing staff for your patience and your guidance during this very difficult time.
somebody that has spent every waking moment paying it forward. You could be absolutely exhausted, but still take one more picture, spend one more moment, especially with young people. This meant that we were always, always, always behind schedule. So the very first lesson in staffing for congressmen was to learn to operate on John Lewis time. Which translates into late, but trusting that it was always your out. As he told everyone, he could outwalk the entire staff. And so our duty was to keep up. When it was time to move, we did. But when it was time to be present, and the congressman needed a little bit of quiet, we would try to create that space. He would slow down to appreciate and absorb the majesty of the moment from his own mental archives. Just as we tried to preserve the sanctity of his space, he allowed us to be our true and authentic selves, just the very best version. He saw us down to the unique, and I think represented either a little bit of his personality or what he needed to complement it. We made our ways to Mr. Lewis in very random times, coincidences, some stronger than others, and for believers through divine intervention. He didn't hire based on a resume, but your image, energy, your being, your essence, your passion, and your potential. We were a metal group of musicians, air traffic controllers, photographers, dancers, social workers, entertainers, entertainers, artists, historians, and every once in a while an actual lawyer or political scientist. He got all into our business. And was there in spirit or in person for the big moments. In the same way that he always took a call from Mrs. Lewis or John Miles, he life dropped everything in a family emergency. And generations of children have fond memories of hanging out in his office as their parents worked nearby. He let us be ourselves, especially when it came to civic participation. He let us organize, protest, testify, and always, always, always vote. We tried to absorb his energy and his lessons. To my knowledge, three staff served him for over 20 years. Ruth Fred, Tillery Butler, and first, first cousin, Michael Collins. at 19, at 16, at 17, at 12, at 10 years, at 14 years, 
Luke Ryan and Brenda Jones, Jeremy Kennedy, and Michelle O'Neill. And then there are the staffers who could never really leave, like Linda Chastain and Jacob Jameson, who we kept pulling back in as friends and confidants. Although some of you and some people moved on, you couldn't really because the spirit was in you forever. His voice is always in our heads. Be kind, be mindful, be particular. Make it plain, make it simple, make it thin. Working for him was a little bit of a nightmare sometimes. Because as no matter how hard we worked, he always worked harder. Every single day he woke up at the crack of dawn, watched the news, and read the newspaper. His memory was like a living encyclopedia, which means he forgot nothing and could pull something back from 10 years ago because he knew it was the same staff and we were still there. He expected us to be informed with facts from primary sources, not hearsay.
One elected country and all its people, the record should be clear on his immense pride in representing Georgia's 5th Congressional District. He was so proud to represent Metro Atlanta in all of its cities, all of its counties, and all of its people. He was on a mission to serve, to make them feel heard, respected, and represented, regardless of where they fell on the political spectrum. The constituents were our compass, and Congressman Lewis worked around the clock to find solutions to their challenges. When he came to public service and public policy, his name did not need to be on the headlines or on the front lines. It was the action and the results that mattered. Not every problem needs a bill. And he could always find compromise without compromising his values or his principles when the challenge presented itself. He played the long game, and he knew every trick in the book. And he expected the staff to fight in a nonviolent manner for the people. When constituents were concerned about the rights of Soviet Jewry, he took action. When faced with inequality in health services, he advanced technical changes to reduce the cost and increase services to life-saving care, especially for the issues that affected communities of color, like kidney disease and COPD. When workers faced pensions issues, he found ways to give them security. When families were separated by immigration policies, he worked around the clock to reunite them. When people couldn't get their social security checks, he fought, and sometimes for years, to make that happen. When taxpayers were struck and workers struggling with an outdated bureaucracy of the IRS, he worked to modernize the entire agency. When he heard from frustrated veterans, he fought for their respect, their earned benefits, and their care. When he saw an alarming increase of racial relationships, he developed strategies to stop the cycle before it began. When some tried to eliminate the U.S. Institute of Peace, he found a way and built a coalition to keep back serving and the prospect and the hope of peace still alive. When he was worried about the state of our globe for generations yet unborn, he introduced the Environmental Justice Act. When looking at the rights of marginalized communities around the world, he worked to diversify the face of our diplomacy and insert empathy and standards to our global policies. And when people complained about a movement allowance to vote, he co-wrote the Voter Empowerment Act. The list is too long to recognize his legislative and policy successes and the impact that he had on people across the nation and around the world. So I ask you as you sit in this historic space and as you drive through Metro Atlanta and you feel and you see the greatness of his legacy, historic preservation and civic education, I ask that you hold that in your heart and your soul and your spirit. He felt that we needed to know and study our history to make sure that we never repeated it. He was both human and divine. It is so difficult to explain the magnitude, the genius, 
expectations and goals of this land. I would like to take this moment for the staff to take a stand, please, so that you can see and know just a sample of who we are.
civil rights movement. For the last 60 years, as a non-violent civil rights activist, he was the voice for those that couldn't speak, the speech for those that couldn't walk, the respect of for those that couldn't hunt. He, along with many other civil rights icons, became the change agents that the world so desperately needed. As a member of Congress, he was known as the conscience of Congress. For over 30 years, he stood in solidarity with the 5th Congressional District of Georgia. He has been recognized, revered, and held to the highest esteem for the work he's done to build a better community. He broke barriers. He tore down walls. He defied stereotypes and refused to be moved from his stance on injustice, liberty, and freedom. He made time for everyone and was always picture-ready. He did not miss an opportunity for a photo to talk to his constituents or to those that revered him. His love was contagious and it could be felt each time you were in his presence. Over the last several days, listening to the numerous accomplishments, some of which he labored for years over, it is evident why his life is being celebrated at this magnitude. He truly made an impact, not just on America, but on the world. So today we celebrate the life of Congressman John Lewis, our Uncle Robert, the man who labored, the man who talked, the man who walked, fought, knelt, sat, held hands with both blacks and whites, bled, lifted his voice, bent his knees, and was willing to give up his life for a righteous cause. Let's continue this celebration of life by taking up a time that he has now laid down and endeavor to get into trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. Let's not give up. Let's not give in. Let's never give out. Let's keep the faith. Keep our eyes on the prize. Rest in power, Uncle Robert. May your legacy live on and never die. We believe you have heard the words from my Heavenly Father. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. And I say to all of us, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Guess what? It's morning time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
head of the student nonviolent coordinating committee and the speaker at the March on Washington, leader of the march from Selma to Montgomery, member of Congress representing the people of this state and this district for 33 years, mentor to young people, including me at the time, until his final day on this earth, he not only embraced that responsibility, but he made it his life's work. Which isn't bad for a boy from Troy. John was born into modest means. That means he was poor. took the battle deeper 
into the South. That same year, just weeks after the Supreme Court ruled that segregation of interstate bus facilities was unconstitutional, John and Bernard Lafayette bought two tickets, climbed aboard a Greyhound, sat up front, and refused to move. This was months before the first official freedom rides. He was doing a, a test. Truth was unsanctioned. Few knew what they were up to. And at every stop through the night, apparently the angry driver stormed out of the bus and into the bus station. And John and Bernard had no idea what he might come back with or who he might come back with. Nobody was there to protect them. There were no camera crews to record events. Thank you. 
reach the government. Your words reach the White House. And Lyndon Johnson, son of the South, said we shall overcome. And the Voting Rights Act was signed into law. and come together and challenge the status quo and decide that it is in our power to remake this country that we love until it more closely aligns with our highest ideals. What a radical idea. What a revolutionary notion. This idea that any of us ordinary people This isn't just. We can do better. On the battlefield of justice, Americans like John, Americans like Dennis Lowry, C.T. Bentley, two other patriots that we lost this year, liberated all of us. Many Americans came to take the rest. America was built by people like you. America was built by John Lewis. Someday when we do finish that long during Fourth Street, when we do form a more perfect union, whether it's years from now or decades or even if it takes another two centuries, John Lewis will be a founding father of that whole fairer, better America. of this country can do. Uh, I mentioned in the statement they now passed. Think about John was just how gentle and humble he was. And despite his so remarkable career, 
so often that's encouraged in our culture. But John always said, he never saw the best in us. And he never gave up. And never stopped speaking out because he saw the best in us. He believed in us even when we didn't believe in ourselves. And as a congressman, he didn't rest. He kept getting himself arrested. As an old Let's go. 
Some state legislators unleashed a flood of laws designed specifically to make voting harder. Especially, by the way, state legislators where there's a lot of minority turnout and population growth. That's not necessarily a mystery or an accident.
generation that is standing up for freedom and equality. A new generation that was intent on voting and protecting the right to vote. In some cases, a new generation running for political office. And I, I told him, all those young people, John, of every race and every religion and every background and gender and sexual orientation, John, those are your children. They learn from your example. Even if they didn't always know it. They understood through him what American citizenship requires, even if they'd only heard about his courage through the history books. By the thousands, faceless, anonymous, relentless young people, black and white, have taken our whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the formulation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Dr. King said that in the 1960s, and it came true again this summer. We see it outside our windows in big cities and rural towns. And men and women, young and old, straight Americans and LGBTQ Americans, blacks who long for equal treatment and whites who can no longer accept freedom for themselves while witnessing the subjugation of their fellow Americans. We see it in everybody doing the hard work of overcoming our own fears and our own prejudices, our own hatreds. We see it in, in people trying to be better, truer versions of ourselves. And that's what John Lewis teaches us. That's where real courage comes from from turning on each other, but by turning towards one another, not by sowing hatred and division, but by spreading love and truth, not by avoiding our responsibilities to create a better America and a better world but by embracing those responsibilities with joy and perseverance and discovering that in our beloved community, we do not walk alone. What a gift John Lewis was. We are all so lucky to have had him walk with us for a while show us the way. God bless you all. God bless America. God bless this gentle soul who pulled it closer to its bones. Thank you very much.
when we shall die. Take him and cut him into stars. He shall make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will grow in love and majesty. And pay no worship to the garish sun. Gracious and loving God, we commend into your safety the soul of your son, John Robert Lewis. You see the affidavit of his deeds? Yes, he stayed in trouble. Necessary trouble. He fought the good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. And now his forth is laid up for him a crown of righteousness. But not only to him, but to all who love God's appearance. Now part of a great mighty cloud witnesses into these are they who have gone through the great tribulation. They've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. rejoice because he has been vindicated by history. His deeds etched into eternity as his soul received into your glory. In the name of the God who loves us in his freedom and frees us into loving. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray.
And welcome back. What you have been listening to were a series of episode segments that had to do with Congressman John Lewis's memorial services and funeral. He has been memorialized in various places over the last six days and including up to today where thousands of mourners listened outside as the funeral service was conducted at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Georgia where his body will be laid to rest. Now though this was his one could say second home he was born in Alabama As he has been referred to all week long in the memorials, the boy from Troy, he was born and raised in Troy. It is interesting to learn more about Congressman Lewis than what has often been understood. And that is often the situation with people. They are known for what they accomplish in their adult years as they go through life. But not all. Now, had this, but what it is the following. (laughs) Exactly this point. No one can deny the fact that when people dedicate themselves to a life of service to country and dedication to something that is very important, such as trying to ensure that laws are appropriately just and that there is parity throughout such things as voting rights, such things as social justice, that they become individuals who dedicate their entire life to such a thing, that these are important causes not only for themselves, but for the people around them and the people that cross paths with the individual. And what is unique about what he accomplished is he became the type of individual who then 
went into the type of career that would create and enact laws to better a world for individuals. What one can easily see is that he was part of a bigger process than one individual. And he did his part as best as one person can do in a larger process. He steadfastly and in a dedicated manner continued on throughout his 33 years as a dedicated congressman. And that is evident and very well seen throughout all these memorials in the people that knew him that were able to speak to his strength and to his approach as lawmaker. From family members to lawmakers to advocates of social justice, it is clear that he has been an individual who, though perhaps he didn't so much like the spotlight on him, he very much had a clear message for people about what was important. 